How you doing, Manurewa campus? You guys good? Love it. Oh, man, it's so good to be back at my favorite campus on the planet. You guys are awesome, and uh, so good to see your beautiful, smiling, happy faces. Uh, Pastor Don and Haley send their love. They are currently self-isolating because they got in contact with someone who got COVID, and so they had to follow the protocols, and they are having a second honeymoon uh, <laughs> in self-isolation. Uh, but I got the Don barely responds to my text message. So when he called me on Friday night at 9 o'clock, I was like, what is coming on? Uh, so I wasn't supposed to be here today, but uh, I'm here, and I'm so thankful I'm here. We had an amazing, amazing time in our first service. Uh, God just really moved in a lot of people's lives, which is just beautiful to see. And so I'm believing God for even more in the 11 a.m. They were just the warm-up. They were the appetizer. You guys are the main course and dessert after dinnerman and the espresso after the meal. It's going to be absolutely awesome. All right, we're going to be, I'm going to be praying for you guys at the end of the service. Um, we're going to, it's our anointing Sunday. But before we do, I want to dive into uh, part three of our refreshing series. We're going to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to build off what Pastor Don preached on last week. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Elam Christians into app, grab it. It is coming up on the screens, so you can follow along as well. Uh, in the app, there's notes you can fill in. There's, you can go back and listen to the podcast. So you can get that on Apple, Android, uh, Apple or Android. Uh, the uh, different stores there. Grab that Elam Christian Center app. It'll be awesome and help you in your life. Okay, here we go. Starting in verse number five, says this, for this very reason, this is uh, Peter talking, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, mutual affection and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that as we anoint you today for God's service this year in your life, that we're going to have, not going to have an ineffective, unproductive year in service of God, but we're going to be effective, productive ambassadors for Christ. Amen. Okay, so going forward to verse number 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory, as long as I live in the tent of this body. I've called this message, Refresh Your Memory. Say it with me, church. Refresh your memory. Have you ever had somebody ask you to do something that you're already doing? You know, someone says, hey, can you do this thing? And you're already doing it. There are a few things in this world more frustrating, more anger-inducing, more offensive than being told to do something that you're already doing. I don't know what it is about that. That hurts deep. That hurts to the core. That hurts to the soul and spirit. That is something that can breed deep offense in people. It's like, say I'm, I'm fixing to do the dishes. I'm getting them ready. I'm going to wash the dishes because I'm an amazing husband. And my wife says to me, hey, Steve, I need you to wash the, the dishes. Well, I'm not washing them anymore, am I? Because I was going to of my own abolition and my own accord. And now I've been told to do it. Now I don't want to do it. Anyone, anyone with me on this? It's like there's something about that. When you're told to do something you already do, it's so annoying. It's so frustrating. It's like someone saying, hey, don't forget to clean up after yourself. I always clean up after myself. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I'm, what are you trying to say? I don't clean up after Can you lock the door when you leave? Like I leave the door unlocked when I go out all the time. There's something frustrating about being told to do something that you already do. I said to our staff just last year at a staff meeting, I said, guys, if I'm if I'm asking you to do something that you already do, so I'm saying, hey, guys, make sure we're ready when people come to church. Make sure we're really welcoming and smiling, happy, welcoming people in really well. 
if I'm saying that, it's not because I don't think you do it. It's just because it's really important to me. And I want to remind you of what's really important. And Peter, in this passage, he says the same thing. He says, all this list I'm giving you, it's not because I don't think you do it. It's not because you're not doing it. I'm saying it to refresh your memory because these things are really important to me. And in fact, these things are going to keep you from living an unproductive faith. And so you're going to keep on producing. And what I would love to do today as we go into our anointing Sunday, we're prepared to pray for you guys and anoint you for God's service this year, is to refresh your memory of the same things that Peter talked about. And because I believe God is calling us to be fruitful and effective for His kingdom this year. So I'm going to go through this list, and we're going to go on a bit of a journey together through this list. I want to unpack them a bit for you. And what you'll discover, what's amazing about this list, is that each part of the picture, each thing that Peter lists, adds to one another. And it doesn't just add a layer to each one. In fact, this, the one that comes after each part of this list will reveal a greater level of truth and understanding and outworking of the previous quality that he lists. We're getting on a journey. It's going to be amazing. We've got seven points to get through today, church. I know you're used to Don's three-point sermons. We're going seven. We're going deep. We're going spiritual. Don't say you don't get fed here at Elam. Seven-point sermon. Here we go. Uh, we're going to buckle in tight. Get ready. We're going for it. So he says this. Number one, he says to your faith, he says, add goodness. Add goodness. I have a, um, a love-hate relationship with shows like American Idol and X Factor. I love them because they're amazing, and the talent that comes out is incredible, and it's so inspirational. It's like, you're going to Hollywood. Like, like those, th- those moments are so incredible, but I hate them because there is a degree of awkwardness to them, and I really don't deal well with awkward situations and awkward moments and things like that. And one of the things that I see in these shows is that people will be queuing up, to go and audition, and then they go and find someone in the queue, and they start to do like a backstory on them. Tell us about yourself, and where you're from, and tell us your story, and these people start going, I'm an amazing singer. I'm the most amazing singer you've ever heard. I'm the next Michael Jackson. I'm going to be amazing. Have you heard of Elvis? I'm better than him. Like, they just start, they talk it up, and they have this big backstory, and then they get to the stage, and they're terrible. I mean, these guys sound like a pirate stuck in an electric fence. They sound horrible, and I don't know who they were talking to. They said they were good, but they, they said they were good. They projected that they were good. They told everybody, I'm so good, but the truth is they weren't good. They weren't good. And we as Christians, we don't just say we're good. We don't just say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm good. Aren't we good? I do. I'm, I'm good. We don't just say we're good. We actually do good. And Paul, what Peter's saying here, add goodness to your faith. It's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus if you're not good. It's not enough just to say, I have faith in God and I'll live for Him. But if you don't live a life that's full of goodness, that faith is meaningless. In fact, true faith, the Bible says, is expressed in doing good. James 2.14 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? I have faith. I've got faith. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, see, faith doesn't just believe good. Faith actually does good. We actually outwork goodness in our lives. The church, we will never be perfect, but we can be good. 
We can be good. We can be people. Don't just say, hey, we're people of faith, but we're people of faith who make a difference in this world. We're people of, this, uh, uh, of faith who live, live honorably. We can bless people. We can refuse to go- gossip. We can avoid sin. We can be trustworthy and honest and treat people really well. We can be morally virtuous. We can add goodness to our lives. So he's saying, hey, if you've got faith, that's great, but add to your faith goodness. Add goodness. And then he says, to goodness, add knowledge. Number two, add knowledge. I was at a wedding recently. I've done a, a number of weddings over the last few months and been to a bunch of weddings. And I was at this wedding, and it was after the ceremony, and my wife, Bex, and I were like, hey, we should go congratulate the, the father and mother of the bride, because we'd met them before. We kind of knew them, and we're like, this is a really good thing to do. To, hey, congratulations. Isn't it nice to have her off the books? And like, you know, someone else's problem now, how good is that? And just kind of congratulate them on a, on a lovely day. But the problem was we couldn't remember the, the father of the bride's name. So I'm going, oh, I'm sure his name's Peter. Maybe it's Paul. I don't know what it is. And so we start asking people, hey, what's the, what's the bride's dad's name? And we got different names from everybody. Most people are like, I don't know. I'm like, this is not helping me. We're supposed to go say congratulations. We don't know what the name is. Everyone's giving us different names. So I go to the pastor who did the ceremony. And I said, hey, brother, well, what's the, the bride's father's name and he goes Roger I'm like I thought it was Peter or Paul you sure it's Roger yes 100% it's Roger we walk away and I'm like man I'm not sure it's Roger and that pastor is quite notorious for practical jokes so I'm like he's stitching us up I promise you he's stitching us up and I was like oh no maybe I should trust him so we're about to go over and say congratulations Roger when the 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 Bride's mother calls to her husband and says, hey, Paul, come over here. We're like, it's Paul. So glad I didn't say congratulations, Roger. I mean, that would have gone bad. Our our good deed, the thing we wanted to do that was good, we didn't have the knowledge to accompany that good deed. See, friends, knowledge is the why behind the what. Knowledge gives us the answers to the questions of why you believe what you believe. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you believe the Bible? Why do you say God is real and true? Why are you a follower of Christ? The answer to the why is the knowledge uh, to, to what you believe is the knowledge. Knowledge gives you the why behind the what. Knowledge is the understanding of your experience. You've had an experience with God. Maybe you've come to church and you've felt His presence. Knowledge is the understanding of your experience. Knowledge is the answers to the questions of faith that you have. And we all have questions of faith. Knowledge gives you understanding and clarity on your belief. Knowledge is the why behind the good that you do. And it's no good just to do good things if you don't understand why we do good things. And one of my concerns as a pastor is I meet far too many really good Christians, good people. They do good things and they they love God, but they're swimming in the shallow end of the knowledge pool. And we're relying too heavily on John 3.16 and God loves me and God is love. And we're stuck in this place where if if we are challenged in our faith or if crisis comes or if a tough question comes or something comes that we don't quite understand, we are lost or we give up on God because we don't have the knowledge to back up the good. And my heart is, that, is for us as a church that we wouldn't just be good and do good, but that we would know why we do good. 
that we would have a knowledge and understanding of the character and the nature of God and His Word and His church, and we would have a depth of understanding so that when storms come and life comes, we know who we are and we know who He is, and we have a firm foundation in God. And maybe it's time for you, friends, to start to lift your game when it comes to knowledge. You do good, and you understand, you, you love God, you have faith, you've got goodness to your life. Maybe it's time to understand why we are good, not just that we are good. Then he says this, to your goodness add, uh, to your, sorry, to your knowledge add self-control. So your faith, add goodness to goodness, add knowledge to knowledge, add self-control. Uh, one of the challenges that I have in my life is that I have a, a, a small issue with balance. So in, in different situations and settings, I, I, I um, find it hard to stay kind of balanced and kind of in, in, a, in a sort of a centered sort of, uh, I guess, vibe internally because I had a virus that damaged my balance center in my right ear. And so I balance is a little bit of a struggle for me in different situations and settings. That's why I sit down to preach on a stool. It just helps me to stay a little bit more centered. That's why I wear a hat when I preach. It's not because I want to look cool or get hit with the young fellas or, or because like uh, I'm being disrespectful and nothing like that. It purely helps to just eliminate a bit of light stimulation, which helps me to stay balanced in my brain, not to get kind of overloaded. So that, that, that's answering questions you may or may not have. Uh, that's why I wear a hat. Uh, that's why I have a great hack. It's not just because I'm bald, but that helps, right? And uh, there's some things in my life that help it, like, make me feel better in terms of balance. And there's some things that make it worse. And I was having a big moan to my wife the other day going, babe, I'm so dizzy today. This is literally the other day. I'm so, I feel so dizzy. It's so frustrating. It's really frustrating when I feel that way. And I'm like, oh, babe, I'm so annoyed. I'm just really dizzy today. And she, this is what she says to me. Well, you have stayed up past midnight for the last four nights watching Netflix. And you haven't really drunk enough water. And you've been drinking way too much coffee. I'm like, woman, I know. I know. Like, I know what I should be doing. I know the things I should do that make it better. I know. The problem is I'm just not doing them. You telling me what I already know is not helping the situation because I already know. My problem is not the knowledge. My problem is my discipline. My problem is not the knowledge. My problem is my discipline because I'm lying in bed at night and Netflix is rolling. And then that little button thing that says play next episode comes up and that goes really fast. It used to be like 10 seconds. Now it's like three. And it's like play next episode. I'm not too sure. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, let's go. Let's go next episode. And it just keeps on rolling. And I know that staying up too late it doesn't help me. And I know that not drinking enough. My problem is not knowledge. My problem is discipline. It's my discipline that's letting me down. And a Christian who has knowledge but no self-control is just a know-it-all. A Christian who knows it all but doesn't do what they know is what we like to call a hypocrite. Someone who says all the right things and knows all the right things, but their life doesn't reflect it. And for many of us, the issue is not that we don't know how we should live. The issue is that we're just not doing it. The issue is a self-control discipline issue. And one of the most detrimental things to the body of Christ is a Christian who says they're good, who says they know everything, but does not live what they know. And Peter's saying this, he's saying, hey, it's your discipline that's letting you down. Not that you don't know stuff, but your discipline is letting you down really quickly right now in your own life. Think about your, your, your morality, your speech, your purity, your integrity, your prayer life, your time in the word, your commitment to the body of Christ in this church. You may know what you should be doing, but are you doing it? Are you living it? Maybe your discipline's letting you down. It's time to bring back into your life a level of self-control. So add to your knowledge, 
self-control. It's not enough just to know it. We've got to live this thing out. Then he says to self-control, add perseverance. So to your faith, add goodness. To goodness, add knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, add perseverance. About eight years ago, I did an event um, that was uh, down country, and it was, it was called the Oxfam Trail Walker Challenge. So basically, the goal is that you walk, 20, you walk 100 kilometers in 24 hours. You've got to walk 100 kilometers without stopping, pretty much. And uh, I signed up with a bunch of friends. We're like, yeah, let's do this event. This is going to be awesome. And I did a bunch of training for it. But I got to the point in my training uh, where I, could, I walk, could walk up to like 40 kilometers on a training run. But then I started to get lots of like niggly injuries. And so I couldn't train as much as I should have been able to train. So about eight weeks before the event, I couldn't do any training pretty much whatsoever. And the most I'd ever walked before the event was 40 Ks, right? So I'm thinking in my head, if you can do 40, you can do 100. That's kind of my mentality. So I show up on the day, put my shoes on, start walking, and at about 55 kilometers, the wheels start falling off. Things start going bad. My body starts to break down in a level I've never experienced before. So for 45 kilometers of this event, this knee decides it just doesn't want to bend anymore. It's like, we're not bending. Bending's done. We're going to stay straight. And then this foot decided that the muscle that worked the foot to go up and down, it was like, yeah, I'm not playing anymore. It just gave up what it was doing. So this foot no longer could move like this, and this knee could no longer bend. So picture this. For 45 kilometers, this is me. There were people walking past me going, man, this guy who's had the stroke is doing so well. Isn't that amazing? It was horrific. It was horrible. 45 kilometers through mountains and rivers and beaches, walking like that, my body's breaking down. Everything in me is going, Steve, this is a bad idea. Just, just take a seat, call someone, they'll come pick you up, you're gonna be just fine. But in that moment, I had to develop a don't quit mentality. Like I'm just, not, look, I started this thing and I'm finishing this thing. I'm gonna walk, even if, if these don't work, I'm gonna crawl, I will lie along my, I don't care, I'm finishing this 100 kilometers. And every kilometer, I was like, don't you dare quit. Do not quit, just keep moving. Keep putting that foot in front of the other. No matter how ugly it is, no matter how brutal it is, no matter how messed up this looks, I'm gonna keep on moving. And I believe one of the greatest things you can develop in your faith is a don't quit mentality. The difference between you seeing what God has for your life and its fullness and not is simply your willingness not to quit. Just don't quit. Just keep on showing up. And Peter's saying here, in your self-control, yet start living this life. But in that, you're going to have to persevere in your self-control. Because when trial comes and seasons that are difficult come, it's your perseverance that's going to see you through. Are you the kind of person that's going to go, you know what, I'm going to keep showing up in prayer. I'm going to keep showing up to church, even when it's hard and it's difficult and it's challenging and it's tough. And I don't feel like it. All I want to do is lie in bed. Uh, am I going to get up and read the Word? Because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Because in the difficult seasons, you'll be tempted to give up the disciplines that you've built. You'll be tempted to give up the self-control of staying in God's path and living God's way and following Jesus. It's when the prayer goes unanswered that you're tempted to give up on prayer. It's when things are challenging, you're tempted to give up on church and give up on God and stop following His ways and go back to your old life. But this is where he's saying, not, don't just have self-control, but have perseverance in your self-control. And there is a richness and a depth and a beauty that you only discover in God and His Word 
that you only find in the seasons of perseverance. You never find it in the easy time. You never find it when it's all rainbows and sunshine, when you are in the valley of the shadow of death and you can see nothing and you walk and you walk and you walk, even though you're thinking, I'm alone in the dark, and you walk through that valley, you will discover a faithfulness of God, a love of God, and a grace of God you never knew before you walked through that valley, but you've just got to endure. You've got to persevere. Some of you may be in a dry season right now. I've been there. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep moving, keep walking, keep praying, keep seeking. You may be in a season of discouragement right now. You may be discouraged. I'm just ready to give up. Don't quit. I've been there too. Just keep going. You may be disappointed. Don't quit. Maybe you're in a waiting season, unanswered prayer. Don't quit. My favorite verse, the verse I literally live my life by, is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's not in your notes, but it simply says this. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for him is ever a waste of time. Let me summarize that for you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Add perseverance. Yeah, you've got goodness and knowledge. You've got some self-control. But will you persevere in the disciplines of God when the seasons are tough? Then he says this. To perseverance, add godliness. Add godliness. I have an identical twin brother. This might be news to some of you, but yes, God looked at us and was like, you know what? The world needs two of those. The world needs more than just one of that. This is, what a blessing. And we look exactly the same. If I put a photo up of us, you'd look at us and go, I can't tell you apart. I can't tell us apart when we were little kids. I can tell us about now. I'm like, Steve, what are you doing? You know, like, now it's fine. But when we were little kids, if I look at photos of us up until we were like nine years old, I cannot tell us apart. So we're, we're pretty identical. And all through our lives, everyone was always like, what's the difference between you guys? Like, what's the, what's, what's the difference between you guys? Like, now we're growing up, like, with, we, we are still so similar. Like, we look the same. We sound the same. Like, if my brother answered the phone and it was my wife calling, she wouldn't know if it was me or not. Uh, so that can be a whole lot of fun. But there's so much about us that is the same. Uh, we sound the same. We enjoy the same things. We're very similar personality-wise. But there's also parts of us which we're so different like we're, we're poles apart different in so many other ways people are always like hey what's the difference between you guys you gotta explain what the difference is and i feel a little bit like when we talk about goodness and godliness like what's the difference like we've already added goodness so isn't godliness just being good isn't that what godliness is they look the same they kind of sound the same so what's the difference between goodness and godliness? And goodness is really our own moral virtue. You don't need God to be good. Like you can be good independent of God. You can be mor- morally virtuous and a good person and do good things independent of God. I know some amazing people who aren't Christians, who aren't people of faith, who are some of the most morally virtuous, amazing, good people that you'll ever meet. So you don't need God to be to be good in your life. But godliness is something different. Godliness is the transformative work of God that He does on the inside of you through relationship with Him. Godliness is the transformation of us into His image. And when you are persevering, and you are persevering in self-control, and you are persevering in knowledge, and you are persevering 
in your faith, you are going to need godliness to be added. You're going to need that connection and relationship with God where God gets on the inside of you and transforms you more into His likeness and He sustains you and shapes you in that process. Otherwise, perseverance is just going to result in bitterness. If you persevere in a season and there's no good that comes out of it and there's no change that comes out of it and there's no transformation that comes out of it, it was all a waste. All it does is leave you offended and bitter and confused as to why did that happen to me? But when you add godliness to the mix, when you connect with God in the midst of that, God is not just in the business of behavior modification, but internal transformation. So the Spirit of God gets in on the inside and you say connected and sustained by Him. He will transform you in the process and you will come through that season of perseverance a different person because you're more shaped into the image of God. See, goodness I can do on my own, but godliness, I need Him. I need Him. Only He can transform me into His image. I cannot. So it moves us from being self-dependent to God-dependent. We add godliness. So deeply tied to our relationship with God. And if you're going to persevere, you're going to need the one who sustains you in the midst of it and transforms you in the process. Add godliness. Add godliness. Some of you will walk in a season of perseverance and you forgot to stay connected to the one who sustains you and transforms you in the midst of it. Get back and add godliness. Get back to him and he will do that work. And then he says this, to godliness add mutual affection. So to your faith add goodness, to goodness add knowledge, to knowledge add self-control, to self-control Add perseverance to perseverance, add godliness, then to godliness, add mutual affection. I was a bit confused when I read this because I thought to myself, what beats godliness? Like you add godliness and then we're going to add something on top of godliness? Like what beats godliness? It's like doing paper, scissors, rock, and someone pulls out a bomb. Nothing beats it. Paper, scissors, what's that? Bomb. Blows everything up. I win. Don't act like you never did that, Jake, on the schoolyard. You're looking like, more like a chainsaw guy. Paper, scissors, chainsaw. But it's like, what beats godliness? What, what, tr- what trumps that? What tops that? What he's saying is this, to your godliness add mutual affection. In other words, he's saying this, live your godliness, live the transformed life God is working in you, live your faith, your relationship with God in the context of community. You can't have godliness without people. You can't have godliness without relationship. God is relational. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's a relationship. The body of Christ, it's a relationship. And you will only experience and live out and outward the godliness that God wants to develop in you in the context of community. You only find it when you walk with other people. And it's fascinating to me how everything in Scripture points us back to the need for community, how everything functions in the, in the context of community. And it's, it's interesting to me that people often say, oh, Steve, I don't, need to, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to, to, to follow Jesus and, and, and be a Christian. And that's one of those statements where I'm kind of like, true, but not true. True, but not true. Like true, you can go to heaven without the church because all you need is Jesus. Like we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, his, his finished work of the cross. I, I get that totally. And you can have a faith in him outside of me. That's totally cool. 
We don't have to know each other for you to be, be a friend of God and to know Jesus to be going to heaven. But if you want to live out the fullness of the call of God in your life, if you want to live out the fullness of your transformation that God wants to do in your life, if you want to find your full healing and transformation, you can only find that in the context of community. That's where it lives and that's where it works. So to your godliness, to your relationship with God and the transforming work of God in your life, live that with people. Live that with people. So if you're not with somebody, if you're not in a community, if you're not connected, if you're not in a small group, you better get in one. Because the fullness of your faith is only going to be found when we're doing some life with some other people. Add mutual affection. Ben, you guys can come join me. We'll finish this up real soon. Then he says this, to your godliness, to add mutual affection, then to mutual affection, add love. Add love. So... To your faith, add goodness. You got to be good. You can't just say you have faith, but you got to be good. Do good things. And to goodness, you got to add knowledge. You got to understand why you do good things. It's not just to do good, but to have knowledge and foundation for why you believe what you believe. Then to your knowledge, you got to add self control. Don't just be a know it all, know it all Christian who knows it all but doesn't do it. Live out this thing called faith and live out your Christian life. And, and then to your knowledge, add, add self, uh, add, uh, add, uh, perseverance and self-control, live it out. And then self-control, add perseverance. You've got to persevere and live in the truth that you know. Don't just, let the, don't just do it in seasons are good, but when seasons are tough, persevere in the disciplines of God for your life. And then to that, add godliness. Let God transform you in the process, in the midst of it all. Stay connected to Him and then live out that transformation in the context of community with other people because that's where it's found and that's where you grow and that's where you flourish. And then on top of all that, He says, add love. Add love. Like the culminating part of it all is love. I um, proposed to my wife a number of years ago. We've been married 16 years this year. Praise God. I think it's 16. It may be 17. It's not 15, but it could be either one of those. But she's not here, so we're saying 16. <clears throat> and uh, I remember the day I proposed to her. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. We were young. I think I was like 22 and I proposed. Um, so get a move on, Jake. Just the word from the Lord just then. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> and uh, I was so nervous. I took her out to a beach out in West Auckland and a uh, beautiful black sand beach and sunset was going down. I was like, this is the moment. This is what we're going to do. So I took her out there and I had, had a ring in my pocket and I was so, I was so nervous. I'd asked her dad for permission. He'd said yes. And like, we've been together for like five years at this point. I'm like, this is, why are you so nervous? I was so nervous. And so I got the ring in my pocket. She's looking at, she's standing there looking out at the sunset. I'm behind her. And I was like, this is the moment. This is it. So I reach in my pocket to get the ring out. And then as I take it out of my pocket, I drop it. And it goes into the black sand. And I'm like, looking at it. And I'm like, I've got to now pick this thing up without her noticing what I'm doing. So I'm like, oh, mozzie bites. Oh, and I just grab a handful of sand with this ring. And now I've got this sandy ring in my hand. And so I'm trying to like sift the sand out. So I just put it all in back in my pocket. And then I reach back in my pocket. I find the ring again. I pull it out. It's covered in black sand. I'm like, this is, this is going badly. I'm so nervous. And so I'm going to wash it now. How do I, I'm thinking, what do I do? So I had a glass of um, sparkling grape juice because we're Christians. And, and and so I drop it in the glass of sparkling grape juice, and I'm like swirling it. All the while, she's looking out at the sunset, 
thinking, what is this moron behind me up to? I'm swirling it in the cup, and I pull it out. Now it's all sticky. So I'm like, try to clean it off. Get it out of my mouth. Like, then I propose, and it all went well. She said yes. We lived happily ever after. Two kids later, two dogs, no hair for me. But my motivation for that moment was love. I wasn't there under obligation. I wasn't there under compulsion. I wasn't there because someone was threatening me, or I wasn't there because I was like, you just have to do this. Something you have to do, like it or not. Like, it wasn't an arranged marriage. Our motivation was like, like I'm all for arranged marriages, by the way. I've got two boys, 11 and 8. I'm taking applications after the service. If you've got daughters around those ages, come and see me. We're going to make it work. It's going to be great. They're good boys. They're handsome, like their dad. <laughs> but I, it, was, it was motivated by love. That was my motivation. I loved this girl, and I was wanting to, to marry her. And love was our motivation. And so Peter's saying here, may your mutual affection, may your community, may your living out that godliness in this context with people, may that be motivated by love. You've got to add love to that. Because if you don't add love to that, very quickly, this becomes a chore. This will become a breeding ground for bitterness and resentment and using people and abusing people and getting out of people what you want to get from them, if you don't add love to it, it can all go really bad. And if you don't have, if you're not motivated by love, look at these guys here. This could very quickly become a chore for them if they're not motivated by love. Because they're here first thing in the morning before anyone else gets here. And they've rehearsed in the week on a Wednesday and they've practiced all week and they've put lots of time and effort into it and they're going to be the last ones to leave because they're going to pack up and stuff and they're going to get everything done and often they're back again tonight and they're doing it again and they're going to show up to their own normal jobs tomorrow and if you're not motivated by love very quickly this becomes a burden it becomes a chore it becomes something you're resentful of and bitter towards and that affects our relationship it affects our community so he's saying make sure you add love Make sure you add love. Very quickly for me, this preaching the Word of God could become a chore. And I could become resentful and bitter about it. I don't wake up every Sunday morning going, I can't wait to preach the Word of God. There's a lot of Sunday mornings I'm like, I wish I could sleep in. And if I don't add love to this, then very quickly it'll become a chore. So I have to add love. And they have to add love. And you leading your small group have to add love because those people will eat all your bickies and drink all your coffee and they'll stay way later than they should. And you told them we're done at 9.30. 11.30 rolls around. They're still talking. You're like, get out of my house. I have a friend who leads a small group and if it goes past 9.30, he just goes to bed <laughs> in his own house. He's like, no, it just goes to bed. That's genius. But very, if, you don't, if love is not the motivating factor, then everything falls apart. This all culminates, the greatest is love. It all culminates in love. And you have to add it to it. Don't believe the myth that says love should just blossom and bloom and just be there. Because it's there at the start 
but then you have to add it. I've discovered that my motivation to marry Bex was love, but I've had to, re- I've realized that I've got to wake up every day and add love. I've got to choose it. It's a conscious choice. It doesn't just naturally flourish and grow. You've got to get up and go, I'm going to love this girl today. I'm going to add love to this. And I'm, going to, I'm going to be motiva- motivated by love. So add love. In the leadership of your small group, add love. In your community with each other, add love. In your service of God in different areas and things that you do, add love. Every day, add love. Because for some of us, we're about to quit and we're getting frustrated and we're getting resentful and we're getting bitter, but it's because we, f- we missed the last part, which was to add love back into the most. Jesus says this, when asked about what the greatest commandment is, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the law and the prophets is summed up right there. Love. The culmination of Peter's list is love. And if you don't have love at the end, if you don't add love, every other part of it is going to fall apart. Your mutual affection will fall apart if you don't love each other. Really love each other. Add love. It doesn't mean you have to like, I'm so in love with all these people around me. Sometimes you're like, I really don't like all these people around me, but I'm going to add love. I'm going to add love because that's the call of God for me. And he loved me while I was unlovable. <laughs> and he had grace for me when I was, I was like too much grace required. And so we love. Think about your own life. Maybe your marriage, maybe your family, your kids, your service, your groups. Maybe we've got to a point where we need to go, hey, I need to add love back in today. In fact, you could sum this whole message up like this. I think it's going to come up on the screen. You could sum up this whole message in one statement. And I want to give that to you. It is in your notes as well if you want to grab that. And it could be like a little faith statement, a little declaration. This sums up who we are as we prepare to anoint you for what God has for you this year. Remember this. In my faith, I do good things and I know why. I live what I know and I persevere in the truth. I am sustained by God and transformed into His image. I live my faith in community and in all things I'm motivated by love. And as we prepare in a few moments to pray for you guys and anoint you with oil for whatever God has for you this year, May we grow in all these things so that we will be effective in all that we do for God. Is that cool? Can I pray for you guys? Let's pray. Father, I pray that our memories will be refreshed of all these things that are important that we add to our faith, that we would add goodness, that we would add knowledge and self-control, perseverance and godliness mutual affection, and love. Father, that you would cause us to be effective for your kingdom's purposes this year. That as we add these and we grow, Lord, that we would be productive in all that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Just with your eyes still closed and every head powered, I want to pray your prayer for you today. If you're here today and your life is just not right with God, maybe you've walked with Jesus before, but maybe today your life is far from Him, or maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before, I would love to invite you to start a journey with Him. See, the Bible says this, that God loves you, God made you. We all fall short of God's standard. The Bible calls that sin. And our sin, it separates us from God. And the payment for that sin is death. But God in His grace sent His own Son, Jesus, to a cross. And when He died on that cross, He took upon Himself 
the payment that you and I would do. He paid the debt. He took upon himself the sin of the world. And he conquered death in the grave and he rose again to new life. And he extends that life to you. He extends to you not judgment or condemnation, but grace. Forgiveness for your wrongs, your sin, your guilt, your shame. A brand new life that begins right here, right now. It's called being born again by the Spirit of God. God's work of transforming you from the inside out begins today. You get to walk into the plans He has for you. And then, friends, this is a great promise of eternity in heaven with Him. If you're not right with God today, I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. I'm going to pray it out loud. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it with me in your heart. But when you pray it, I want you to mean it with everything you've got. You can pray it out loud if you want to, or you can pray it along with me in your heart. It's your prayer, not mine. I'm just leading you in it. Are you ready? If you want to get your life right with God today, you say these words. Say, God, today I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned, but I believe Jesus, you died for me. So right now, I turn from my old life, and I turn to you. Forgive me of all my wrongs, and make me brand new today. I choose from this day to live for you in Jesus' name.